What's happening, guys? Welcome to the JBS Training Group podcast. My name is Mark Smith. I am your host. I own and operate JBS Training Group, which is a firearms training company that travels the nation teaching guys what I know about shooting fast and accurate. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you'd like to know more about JBS Training Group or where you can get in on a class, you can visit www.jbstraininggroup.com. Enjoy the show. What you've been doing these, I mean, are you, you're kind of nearing the end of one career and the beginning of another one. Is it, are, are your days still typical or is it just you, you like to be doing any given thing at any given time? Uh, lately, it's kind of any given thing at any given time. I've uh, passed off my duties at work uh, a couple months ago uh, to a capable individual mm-hmm. and just kind of went on a rampage of shooting some PRS matches and things like that, getting ready for, for some other ones coming up. I've got one this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actual, like going to work, work, um, probably there might've been a whole week worth of days scattered in between the last couple months I've been there. So been shooting some matches, been traveling, took some vacation to spend some time with the family. Uh, just recently had eye surgery, corrective eye surgery, uh, kind of like LASIK called PRK. Um, so, um, I just had that last week. So tomorrow I get my checkup and all that and, uh, and see how that goes. And hopefully it works well for this weekend's match. But, um, yeah, just, you know, reaching out and getting my resume stuff done for retirement. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to potentially look for jobs, um, if there's something worthwhile. And, uh, right now I'm, I'm kind of planning on doing my own thing and being my own boss mm-hmm. and going from there. PRK oh, maybe, maybe. sounds like pretty risky crap. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, dad jokes. I, do they do they do they put you to sleep for something like that? Or are you just supposed to just chill? Like let us poke you in the eyeball and don't worry about it. No, nah, they give you a Valium. It's a very quick um, surgery. They give you a Valium, half hour, hour out, whatever. And yeah. um, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. I guess. But they bring you in and they numb your eyeballs. They give you this clockwork orange contraption over your eyes to keep your eyes open. And uh, they come in and uh, they buff your eyeball with what looked like one of those um, spinning toothbrushes from the dentist when they put the, the paste on your teeth. They clean them. Oh, my they God. They buff your eyeballs for, you know, 15, 20 seconds and uh, to, to knock off the epithelium, or I believe is how you pronounce it, skin. Oh. And then uh, depending on how bad your vision is, is how long you're under the laser. So as soon as that's done, they stick you under the laser and uh, like mine was five or six seconds. My vision wasn't super bad. Some people's are two or three times that time, but, um, and that's it. it that's, I think I was in there for about seven minutes. Um, it to get sounds, the surgery. it sounds a lot so. like a vasectomy. That's basically what happened with my vasectomy. They were like, here's a lower tab. Here's a Valium. Here's a, uh, what do they, I don't know what they call them for real, but we called them totem poles back in the day. I think it's a Xanax. And, uh, and they were like, take all these 30 minutes before you get here. And I was like, no problem. Right. But like, I, dude, I don't be like messing around with pills a lot. Right. So I didn't know what was about to go down. Dude, I was high as a mug. I was like, cut them off. I don't give a crap. Like I didn't care what happened. And I was trying to talk to the doctor while he was doing it. He didn't like that. Trying to like making it weird. But anyway, uh, cool. Well, uh, so, so tell me, so you, how long have you been like, is all of your time with the Army been with AMU, or was there Army time before AMU? No, so all the all my time in the Army has been with the Army Marksmanship Unit. Um, for I got there spring of 2016. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, went through, had to go back through basic uh, for a couple weeks or whatever to out of the Marine Corps to um, become an infantryman in the United States Army. Uh, I was not infantry before. I was a diesel mechanic and I spent just under 12 years in the Marine Corps before transferring over. Yeah. I got and, you. Uh, so I got what, seven years. I'll, I'll finish up, retire uh, next, next summer. Let's, let's go ahead and settle this. Who's, whose boot camp is worse? Uh, so I went, you know, 20 years ago, so I can't compare the army 20 years ago, but the Marine Corps by far, okay. um, everything listen, about it was worse and better. If you want to say that, that's just, that's just one data point. Y'all, y'all don't be writing me emails about this. Uh, you know, I didn't <laughs> say it. He said, write him an email. Um, but all right, cool. And so, um, were you, so I don't know how none of this works, obviously, right? Were you in the Marine Corps when you signed up for the Army? Or like, did you even know that was going to be a thing? Or was there a time period where you just were, were, were a citizen just kind of floating around? So if, uh, a couple of years before I was, uh, got out of the Marine Corps, uh, almost two years before, um, I had expressed that I was not going to stay in. I was going to get out, do some contracting, do some training for people. And uh, to some of the AMU guys, and they reached back to me and was like, "Hey, you ever thought about coming to the army?" And I'm like, "Hell no!" Uh, they're Bunch of pansies. <laughs> yeah, you know. And uh, they were like, "Well, hey, you could come back to Alabama, live in Alabama, and get weekends off." And I was like, "Sold." Let me talk to my wife. And so we had planned that for about two years out, um, and, and essentially, you know, I got I got hired uh, out of out of that, and then. Uh, Come 2015, when I was doing all the paperwork, um, I was able to, there's some forms you can do whatever while you're still active in one branch to get processed uh, to another so you don't have a break in service. I mean, when you get out of one, you can literally the same day or the next day sign up and you don't have a a gap. Uh, And just in military fashion, paperwork was screwed up. Uh, I was out for about three months before I came to the Army. So other than that, it was pretty pretty seamless. A little hectic for those three months trying to figure out if they were going to let me in or not, because um, yeah. I had put most of my eggs in that basket, you know, but um, it worked out and it's been a, a great gig. Um, I think I, I've been more useful doing the gig I've been doing for seven years than than being a, a mechanic in the Marine Corps. So. Was it was it anything like what you thought it would be or was it totally different? Like, did you have any anticipation of what to expect based on dudes talking about it or, or what? Yeah, I mean, I knew I'd known the guys for for several years um, that I was competing against. I had visited the AMU, um, so I had a, a pretty good working knowledge of what it would entail. And um, I, uh, so I had you know eighty percent of an idea or, or whatever. Um, and some things were even better than I could have expected. Um, it's it's set up as an entity much better for the instructors and competitors at the AMU than the Marine Corps team was. Um, just nature of the beast and the way things evolved in the Marine Corps, it was more that we were there more to support weapons training battalion, uh, whereas AMU is, is designed to set up and support the competitors and the instructors. Um, that's the whole point of that unit. So the support and the, the things we get to do and the people we get to train is much broader and, and higher tiered um, than what we did in the Marine Corps. Um, I know the Marine Corps is transitioning to do and has worked with with more units on instruction, but for for quite some time, especially during when the war was you know pretty hot and heavy in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, the training that those the guys on the teams were doing wasn't um, 
wasn't adequate in my opinion. Uh, it, not that the, they couldn't train. It just they weren't going out there and training um, as much as they should have been or, or at all. Uh, at the AMU, we do a, a lot of training other units um, and stuff like that. So when you you went from the Marine Corps to AMU, is is it is it typical that the members of AMU come from uh, service already, or are these dudes like just regular dudes and they literally join the Army to to be in the AMU, or or is there a trend at all? Uh, I would say the trend typically is is um, they're hiring collegiate athletes and and juniors out of certain disciplines, whether it be you know USPSA or you know, shotgun and air rifle, small board, stuff like that on our international slash Olympic teams. Yeah. Um, and so, but we do have a, you know, a, a, a portion of the people that were former military in another branch or army. Um, and, um, or had came to the AMU and a couple of them had came to the AMU and left and then came back, uh, things like that, just depending on what they wanted to do in their careers. Yeah. Uh, we've had some leave, leave as enlisted and become officers, and come back and be our company commanders uh, as an officer for a few years and come back, you know, and uh, so it's been pretty cool. But I'd say the majority of the unit is is civilians that were hired straight to the AMU. Um, they go through basic training, whatever MOS uh, that, uh, that works out, typically infantry. And then um, since that's here at Fort Moore, Fort Benning, for those that had, didn't know it changed. And, um, and it makes it easier because they're already on site. So um, and they'll come to the AMU and they'll compete and stay for however long 20 years if they do well enough or they'll go on and do other things and uh, or get out and, well, something else. and i got so I, I didn't intend on talking about the amu so much but i keep coming up with new questions so like the amu is different than other units in that like it doesn't matter like so if you go and score like super high on the asvab you can almost pick whatever you want as an mos right but i don't think the am like, you can't just choose to go to amu right like like so how is a man is how is a man accepted into that? Like, how does he get into that? Is it like a, like we vote on him or like, he, or how does that work? Yeah. So, uh, you know, IQs don't matter. Well, IQs do matter. Uh, however, they are not the, um, not just what determines you coming here. So, uh, traditionally we vet or we search out, um, competitors. So especially juniors, you know, the, um, the military aged, you know, uh, 17 to 25 year olds and things like that that we compete against that do well. Um, and we track our, our people that we know that are either coming up on retirement or they're going to get out, you know, because they want to go do something else or they, or they stay in, but they're going to leave the unit. And so we track that and we try to, you know, have somebody in the pipeline, uh, 18 to 24 months out to hire. Um, sometimes we get email, you know, we, we get emails quite a bit, um, of soldiers or other military members or civilians that, Maybe we don't really know, but or know it all, and they email us and say, "Hey, here's who I am. This is what I, I'd like to join the unit, or I'd like to more information about the unit." And a lot of those are, are anywhere from, "Hey, I'm a master class in USPSA in this division," or "Hey, I'm qualified expert and I want to come to the AMU." You know, what does that look like? And so each of those reply emails um, from us are, you know, will be tailored to that shooter. A lot of times we'll we'll look them up on things like Practice Score or the CMP website or whatever, depending on what they compete in. Um, some of them are, are guys that want to, or, or, or women that want to come to our instructor training group. And so, which is, um, traditionally people, you know, former sniper school instructors, rangers or whatever that want to come to the AMU and work and train, you know, train, uh, the, the, the forces, um, uh, of various branches, but primarily army, obviously. So we're, we're a little bit all over the place, but 
um, we like to typically vet someone. We like to bring them out for a few days to a week um, to get them around the the personnel on the teams. Not so much to know if we're going to hire them for their abilities, because if we've if we've gotten you that far, we probably know that you can shoot well, or you can teach well, or both. Um, it's more of how do you interact with the people on the team? Are you are you in a a, a mindset that's not going to mesh well, or are you perfect for the team? Are you do you have leadership abilities that we've never saw before because we've only seen you at matches, things like that? Um, and those are very beneficial because you could potentially be on that team for twenty years. Um, and so having that longevity. And having people that like minded and, and can mesh well um, is very important to us. So you're not you're not taking a dude and trying to convert him into what you want. You're trying to recruit dudes that already have what you want. Yeah, yeah, and, and sometimes it happens. You know, we don't always get it right, but um, as well, sometimes we we hire somebody we vouch for and it, it doesn't work out. And uh, and sometimes people do change. You know, we we grow and evolve. I know I have um, over the years. And, uh, sometimes we change to, for the better or worse, but, uh, typically, yeah, I mean, we would much rather have, you know, if you've got the number one shooter and the number two shooter and they're fairly close to each other. Um, but number one, I mean, maybe they've got the, all the drive in the world and et cetera, but they're just, then they're not the right, um, mentality for what we want. Um, number two gets hired, you know, if, if they're a better mindset, because we feel that we can make or train guys to get better uh, within our teams because we have the experience and, and the longevity to do it um, that we can transform you know most competent people into champions so um, that's one way to look at it uh, you know because like I said we you know somebody toxic on the team regardless of how good they are just doesn't need to be there in my opinion um, and sure. that goes for anybody's job you know so for sure you keep talking about we can train you and the dudes that you're seeing uh, back in the day, they weren't training right. And all. So, so tell me about what that means. What, so how does Scott Peterson choose what to train? Like you're going to go tomorrow and you're going to go do a little bit of training, about an hour, two hours. What are you doing and how do you arrive at that conclusion? So a lot of it's based on where I am uh, probably in that year or what, I, what, what type of uh, competitions I'm in. So like, for PRS the last couple of years, I haven't really kicked off until the summer. So I've, I've taken essentially, you know, from December to August, uh, dang near August 1st, uh, off the gun. When I say off the gun, specifically my PRS rifle, which is its own beast because it's heavy and, and all this other stuff. I only shoot 308 for that. So that'll come in, you know, I'll start working positional things where I'm not focused on sheer speed or, or efficiency as much as um, precision. And the gas gun stuff I shoot for the other part of the year, I'm more focused on kind of all of it. So sometimes precision isn't um, as as tight as PRS. And so I'll go out, you know, I work a lot of 100-yard drills on paper um, just because the range at work, we only have 150 yards. So it's it's a lot easier for me just to, to do that at work and not try to find some piece of property or get another range on post um, that takes four people just to go check it out and things like that. So a lot of times I'm by myself or I just have uh, one of the other guys um, at work with me and we, we train off barricades and hundred yard paper drills, uh, a lot of that. And then with the paper, we'll go from seeing what our trends are. You know, if they're um, just, if it's fumbling magazine changes, is it, is it fumbling the bolt manipulation? Um, certain barricades uh, are the groups larger than we expect from the previous years or are we seeing trends um, where, you know, our prone zero is trending high in barricades. Is it because we're not shouldering the gun a certain way or whatever? Because you'll have different trends, um, especially with, you know, 
very high precision guns, it's a lot easier to see trends on paper at 100. So really focusing on that, analyzing what's going on, uh, focusing on reticle movement, um, how our pressures applied to the gun, whether it be shoulder, sport arm, whatever, are changing. Um, and as we, you know, a year goes by, our bodies change a little bit. Our metabolism slows or increases. Our eyesight fades or gets better because that's surgery or whatever. And so um, that can change how you shoot sometimes. Um, you know, being in shape versus out of shape can change your heart rate, can change how you uh, need to hold the gun and sport the gun because you're influencing the, the rifle and adding recoil or adding a pulse and stuff to, or your recoil changes and things like that. So it really kind of uh, probably based on that first week, quote unquote, back on the gun. Um, and then we'll go from there. So a lot of times our, we don't shoot a ton of long range uh, for practice, uh, like I said, because of the availability of ranges. But um, once we kind of narrow down our, our data with our ballistic solvers and things like that, that doesn't really change. It's really fine tuning on paper. Um, so, you know, if you start out shooting three MOA groups on paper at 100 for PRS, that's not sufficient. You know, so we, we try to narrow that down and get it closer to the MOA range or better, depending on that. And then we'll push time and go a little faster, shoot smaller, paper, you know, dots or whatever it is and go from there. Do you... um do you find when you switch over from the from the precision gun, like I mean, I mean you've got you've got freaking bolt guns that I'm sure can can hold you know half minute. Like this is not a strange anomaly to you, right? Like this, like it's not uncommon to see a bolt gun that can do this. Do you, does it change the way that you're training potentially when you go to a gas gun that cannot produce that same amount of precision and therefore it cannot necessarily give you the same information that 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 bolt gun can in the same amount of rounds, right? So like. So you you can check a zero with a with a quarter minute bolt gun with three rounds like easy day you know what I mean if both if all three of those are on top of each other like good to hook but like three rounds from a from a two minute gas gun you know that that ain't enough to get the whole story sometimes and so like how does it how does it switch over based on what the gun can do so the training itself is is still very similar or the same a lot of times but it's the mindset going with it is and just like you mentioned knowing the weapon system first off. Um, is very important because as I shoot that gun and I'd only use three, three rounds for one gun, but the three MOA gun, you know, I need to shoot 15 or 20 rounds. Um, and knowing to do that, you know, maybe in multiple five shot groups or something. So I'm not getting the gun super hot or whatever, but, um, the biggest change is just knowing the capabilities of the rifle, its limitations in both, uh, the transonic supersonic realm, um, as well as the groups it can deliver and understanding like, okay, well I have to shoot more rounds on it at, you know, when I'm zeroing, shoot more rounds on it when I'm checking data just to understand, okay, and they get in the mindset of this gun shoots bigger and that's okay, right, um, to know its limitation because that gun, I'm not going to shoot 0.2 to 0.3 mil size targets that are MOA or sub-MOA. I'm going to shoot 2 to 4 MOA targets most likely. And so uh, with, with the gas guns specifically. Mm -hmm. And so that's okay. So just kind of breaking the mindset, it's like going from baseball to softball or, or whatever, you know, uh, thinking you're drinking water and you pick up a sweet tea and it kind of throws you off for a second. Yeah. You just have to change change gears and go, okay, well, this gun shoots better. That's okay. What is its limits and where do I go from here on zeroing and checking data at distance? And it's okay to see a you know a minute and a half vertical dispersion on a steel target, um, but I'm trying to center that group over my aiming point. Yeah. Um, things the, like that. The, the concentricity is far more important than the actual size. Uh, mo most of the time, yeah. if you're asking the gun, you know, to do something that's reasonable, I, I just got done with a performance out yonder out in Minnesota. And, um, man, that's, a, that's a thing that I have to fight constantly at these 
you know, scope rifle and magnified dot rifle courses is the, these guys have been led astray by the internet and they, they don't understand that like that, that dude's group that he put up that's like half MOA with that gas gun is very akin to that dude's sub uh, second draw. Like it, that, that was the 27th one that actually went the best and he filmed that one and put it up, right? It's not necessarily something that you can just bet on all the time. And then also, like, dude, just because it's a gas gun AR-15 don't mean it's your gas gun AR-15. Like, like I, I, I don't, I do not have five, five, six precision gas guns. I have good enough is gas guns, uh, P, P for plenty, right? And so, um, I, I have always thought that, like, if if you've got a standard, you know, rat gray carbine that'll that'll hold three minutes nine out of ten times, like you're living life in a pretty good place compared to most guns that I see. Uh, and so, like, it's unreasonable to just expect every freaking rifle you've got to do a half minute. And, and because of that, it changes the way that we have to kind of go about some things because we have to, we have to establish a little bit more information because the gun just ain't got the precision that other guns do. But a lot of dudes like they'll shoot. I mean, you've seen it, right? They'll shoot a, a, a little uh, four round cluster. And then one of them will be like an inch away. And, and what does everybody always say? Oh, I pulled that one. Well, I, I don't know, play it. Did you, or are you just saying that? Cause that's the, the catchy thing to say, or is the gun trying to scream at you? Hey man, I got more information for you. You know, um, and, and I find that to be like the, the, the most common denominator with dudes getting frustrated with themselves is related to the fact that the gun cannot do what you're at, like what you're expecting that it's going to do. And, and, and so what happens is every now and then they don't understand the, the inconsistencies that can arise from, from ammo, environment, shooter, gear, accessories, and all these different things. And so the one time that they get this one MOA group, they now expect that forever and when they don't get it, it, oh, it must be my fault. I suck at shooting. And it's like, well, I, I, maybe not, man. So uh, my question to you is, how often are you seeing, uh, I mean, and you can even do precision like the, you know, Bartlin and Krieger. Like, are those guns like super, super consistent? And are they the same consistency as, uh, as you know, something like, I mean, you got a Hodge gun now. Um, that, that thing's liable to go from, from three quarter to a minute and a half, just based on the day, man, has been, has been my experience with them. Um, but you know what, like for what I asked that gun to do minute, minute and a half, good enough. What do you think on that? Yeah. So first off, we have to be honest with ourselves. Right. And, and that kind of comes back to the posting the, the cherry pick photos and, or videos and runs and draws and all that stuff. But, um, Again, you know, like I said a minute ago, it goes knowing your weapon system, whether it be the precision bolt gun for PRS or the or the duty gun you're going to carry in the trunk of the police car that shoots three MOA, and that's fine. Um, but knowing that it is it zeroed properly, do you have data gathered? Have you checked your BDC or you know your mill holds or whatever? Um, so, yeah, I mean, good enough is I, I like when you say that um, because it, while it's vague, um, if you know Mark. Um, you kind of know what that means and it means it's good enough for you for that specific moment and that specific time and space. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's not your free that, excuse to be a jackass, man. Like that ain't what it yeah. is. Right. Like that's not your excuse to go say, Oh, I shot like a spaz. Well, good enough. Like good. Cause good enough. It's only good enough till it ain't. And then you better have better yeah. than that too. So, you know, yeah. Cause if you're not winning, but winning's the goal, right. Then it ain't good enough. Then it ain't good enough. <laughs> but yeah, to, to kind of go back to what we're talking about is as far as the groups and things like that, like, you've got, I, I firmly believe you need to be honest with yourself. Um, and so if you throw that flyer and you put your thumb over that fifth shot to take the picture to show that your <laughs> thumbnail is a side, you know, that's how big a group is. You see stuff like that. It's not being honest. Um, 
And, you know, there's groups on Facebook and other places that will destroy you for that kind of stuff. But then the people that are talking crap on you also can't shoot or produce the groups that you covered up. So it's crazy. It's a it's a fickle beast, I think I heard you say before. Um, But the biggest thing is, is be honest with yourself. Um, Be honest with what your capabilities are. Um, and your weapon system. And the weapon system is not just that Krieger Bartland barrel, because I've got Krieger and Bartlands that I throw M855 in and they're three minute guns, you know, but I shoot, you know, some Black Hills or something and them or some hand loads and they're, they're three quarter minute guns. Um, and so that's fine. And knowing the nuances, like you said with uh, the Hodge gun, you know, I've got uh, a couple of Hodge barrels and I think they're great and they're good enough for what Jim designed those guns for um, and wants those guns for. I've got one that is outrageous. It, it, it took a while to get the get it settled in, as you know, chrome line barrels can sometimes take. Um, but it is consistently MOA or better with quality, you know, ammo like a Black Hills or Handload. Um, but it also shoots seventy grain TSX and eight five five, you know, two and a half MOA like everybody else's gun, regardless of M four or a precision barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but knowing those things, knowing what the ammo can do, uh, expectations like I'm not going to expect to buy some Winchester white box and expect it to be quarter minute ammo like. Um, I, I would be fooling myself if I think that. And, and there are people that think that it doesn't really matter what you shoot, just buy it off shelf and it should shoot amazing. And that's not the case. Um, so knowing that, and a lot of that comes down to getting rounds on the gun, you know, shooting a box of 50 and then calling yourself an SME, um, probably isn't, uh, an adequate outlook, <laughs> um, or, or, you know, to call yourself an SME or subject matter expert for those that don't know what that means. But, um, you know, I, I'm working on it uh, with a with a company with a new cartridge that I'm hoping to have ammo for today. And I don't know what that looks like. I, I've seen some groups that it can produce. However, it's not me and uh, I haven't fired it. It's not the gun that I have. Um, couldn't t- Maybe it shoots great. Maybe it shoots like crap. But you're not going to hear a peep and pretty much until I've probably got about 800 to 1,000 rounds on that one gun to say what it's capable of. I'm not going to shoot 30 rounds and post it on the Internet and be like, man, this thing's awesome or this thing's crap either way, you know, I'm going to give it its due diligence and, and put some time and, and effort behind the gun because guess what? Even the best shooters shank a shot or, or shoot crappy groups or, you know, have bad days. Um, not saying I'm the best, but, um, I have an, I'm confident in my abilities. And so I like to, to get a lot of data points, if you will, on that, um, as we all should, uh, you know, and budgets and things like that and, and finances, uh, allowable. Not saying go waste, you know, burn up credit card money just to shoot some rounds, just to say, hey, look at these groups on Facebook. But um, so, like, the, it, you know, this I, is what I want people to understand: like the fact that you just said, I got, I got to shoot eight hundred or a thousand rounds before I can tell you, man. Like, because there's so much stuff that you have to explore. It's not just the one group. Like, it's 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 the group with this ammo and that ammo and on this day and at this elevation and off of this barricade and with this optic and this muzzle device and all kind of crap comes into play with this. It reminds me of uh, your 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 famous uh, uh, quote uh, that that DMR stands for do more research, right? That phrase is a trademark not to be used outside the benefit of veracity solutions LLC. Um, so uh, anyway, um, it, it's because it, it, it really like it's not the one thing, man. And so like I I, I was checking zero with those guys, uh, whatever I don't even know what day it is, whenever it was uh, a couple days ago, and. You know, my 14.5 shot, I don't know, about a two-minute group. And this guy made a comment, and he was like, dang, man, is that all them Hodge barrels can do? And, and I was like, bro, I'm, I'm shooting 55-grain ball off the magazine on a sod farm of soft ground in 28-degree temperature. Like, I'm freezing to death right now. 
Like, this is fine. I'm totally ha- – they, they ain't nothing this field of targetry is getting ready to ask me that that won't, won't, be, won't be working out for. Um, and, and, like, I really do find that a lot of guys are just, like, constantly expecting if I just had the right gun, if I just had the right ammo, if I just, you know, had the right piece of gear, all of a sudden my gun's going to do the right thing. And, and it's like, well, does it – and I'm not saying – like, if, if I could flip a switch and all the guns in my safe were half-minute guns, I would flip it, right? But – is that required? Like, what are you doing with this thing? And if, and if you're doing something with this thing that is unreasonable, then, then why are you acting surprised at the results of it? You know what I mean? Like it's unreasonable to take a 14, you know, cold hammer force chrome line gas gun to a PRS match where they're going to put you up with some one MOA targets a long, long way away and give you one shot at it and, and, and expect to win. Like that's unreasonable, yeah, man. Um, so like, yeah. what, so you, you picked the wrong gun, you know, you also didn't yeah. go to that match with a pistol because that would be stupid, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, you nailed it and, and guys, um, and, and then you have the unrealistic expectations of new shooters that hop on these groups or follow these people on Instagram influencers or, or whatever, you know, and, and maybe I'm guilty of it too. I won't say that I'm not, I probably, posted something that made somebody have a re- unrealistic expectation of like, man, this guy's Krieger barreled gas gun shoots three quarter, 10 shot groups all the time. And I'm posting that and just, you know, um, and then they go by the same setup and they shoot two away groups or whatever, because they don't have the ammo that I'm shooting. They're shooting 55 grain ball and they, then they get frustrated with it or whatever. Um, so I'm sure that that happens because, you know, a lot of us reach out and for, for YouTube and social media and stuff to, as a knowledge base. Right. And it, it can be, but you have to weed through a lot of BS sometimes. Well, um, and I tell you when this really like suppressors, when, when this really, oh, I, when this really sank in for me, we were at that silver Creek match and you remember the, uh, the, uh, the, the Hodge barrel I had gotten, it wasn't broken yet. It was doing like freaking three minutes, pretty regularly every now and then two minutes. Right. And, and it just wasn't great. Um, and, and dude, like, I won my division at that match and I shot within 97 and a half percent of you. And like, that was when I internalized for the first time ever, like, dude, good enough is man. Like, like, and and that also helped me understand that like all these different times that I've been blaming the guns accuracy probably are not correct statements. Right. Like, cause that shoot dude, like I, I really thought like this was about to not go well. You know, but then like the the more I the more I was doing well, the more I started thinking. Well, I mean, hell, the, the, that target ain't a three MOA target; it's a it's an eight MOA target. So this 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 will work, you know. And and that was uh that was when I finally decided. Like, I don't want people to hear like I don't care if a gun don't group well. That that ain't what I said. But like, I'm not mad at it if it doesn't do things out. You know, that th- that are just kind of uh the, the 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 trick pony stuff. You know. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, a more precise weapon system allows you to have a, a better error and, and obviously you shoot smaller targets, but it also allows you to have a little more error in your wind calling and things like that. So there is an advantage of it. Uh, you also have to be able to shoot that, shoot what its capability of is. And hello. And uh, a lot of people, you know, like say like, oh, the, you know, and I hear it a lot of times from, from hiring guys that you know, Hey, the gun shoots better than I can shoot and things like that. It's, it's a, it's a quarter minute gun, but I'm a three quarter minute shooter and stuff. And that's a good place to be. Um, but a lot of times that, that takes a lot of rounds to get there. And sometimes people pick it up very quickly. Um, and some, sometimes people don't, or they're just not honest with themselves and their weapon that they have, or, or they have a, 
so much money invested in a specific brand or whatever of gun or, or, or equipment, and it doesn't actually perform the way, you know, Scott Peterson threw up on Instagram because his gun performed that way or something like that. Maybe they just, I've got a good one and they don't, or maybe they've got a good one and I don't, I don't know. And so that's where, you know, shooting, taking time and shooting that gun, like dry fire will do a lot. Right. But sometimes in this instance, I believe that the best dry fire is live fire and you don't get the feedback of what the weapon's capable of until you actually start shooting it. And I don't mean shooting 10 rounds and calling it a day. Um, there is a time and place for that, but it's once you've established, you know, quality training, once you've established all the other, uh, presets before what the gun and, and you are capable of things like magazines, suppressors, muzzle devices that you mentioned earlier, all those things can cause flyers. Um, I was working with a buddy the other day who's building, you know, got a gun and he was having a crazy first round shift of like over a minute, but at the rest of the group would be three quarter minute. So it was making his groups minute and a half, two MOA. Uh, cause he, he doesn't discount that shot. He's like, well, that shot, if I shoot it down range, I'm just not going to adjust off of it. And I know it's fairly consistent in its general vicinity of what it's doing. And he didn't want to, but we took off the suppressor and he shot and he's like, for whatever reason, his suppressor is causing a shift. Um, and so now he's got it solidified. Now, what did that cause him to do? Well, he's hand loading. So he had to go back and re redevelop loads um, to run it without a suppressor. He had to change his, his uh, buffer and spring and, and change his settings on his um, his gas block because obviously the suppressors, it's not a flow through, so it adds more back pressure. So things like that, um, you know, how dirty your ammo gets in the magazine once you get close to the bottom of the magazine can can affect how it chambers if you're running a suppressor. Um, how much lube you put on your bolt, and I don't mean bolt carrier, I mean the bolt because People lube the crap out of their lugs and then that migrates to the chamber and increases chamber pressure and blows primers or speeds up ammo and all this affects your groupings. So all these things you don't know until you get out there and actually shoot the gun. Um, like I'm a firm believer in, in dry, fi dry fire. However, there are certain things you won't learn in dry fire and you have to go out there and shoot it. And a lot of times those, those things you learn aren't related to more of the precision and your ability to shoot. It's more of letting you know, letting that gun tell you what it likes. When does it like to be cleaned? Um, you know, how do you clean it? What lubricant do you use on that gun versus another gun and all those other things? I got a freaking gun right now. Matter of fact, this morning, my, my old, my old, uh, brown Hodge gun, that's my night vision gun. I, I picked it up to do a little dry fire with it and the god dang trigger don't feel right. And then I rack the gun and all of a sudden now the trigger won't reset. So I don't know what the hell's wrong with that thing. I think it probably got a bunch of sludge down in it or something, or maybe I switched to the wrong lube and then, and them two lubes don't like each other. And now it's a bunch of sticky mess, you know? Um, yep. could have a primer stuck in the trigger and you didn't know you blew a primer. You know, it's, 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 so it's all kind of like mess, that. all kind of mess. All right. So tell me this, you go, you, you're going to go shoot just a, uh, I'm going to pick a random DMR match for you to shoot. You don't know what the target sizes are going to be, but it's safe to say that, uh, they're, they're going to be the, the standard, you know, DMR match style targets. Um, what is that like? your threshold of precision for a, uh, a gas gun for a match like that. Like if this gun will shoot below this threshold, I'll use it. If it's over that, I don't want it. For me, a minute and a quarter to a minute and a half, um, any better. And, uh, to me, it's, it's a great shooting gun. Um, now caveat to that is, well, what does that mean? Cause like we talked about earlier, three shot group, minute and a quarter, minute and a half or half minute, whatever. Um, consistently, five and 10 shot groups. You know, if I, if I lay down or, or in position on a modified prone off a bench or whatever I'm shooting, if I lay down prone and shoot a five shot group, I get up, wait a minute, 
jump back down, shoot another five shot and do that consistently. And that gun consistently prints a minute and a quarter, a minute and a half or better um, to me for a gas gun in any match outside of a PRS gas gun. Um, that's the gun I'm taking totally, or, or that, totally I won't acceptable. say that's the gun I'm taking, but, but that gun is totally acceptable. I may have multiple guns that do that. Mm-hmm. And then I'll figure out from there, like, do I know the location? Is it only going to be 700 and then it could be a thousand or whatever. I'll change cartridges depending on that. But as far as precision wise, uh, a minute and a half or better, uh, like I said, because we're shooting larger targets typically. And if we're not, then, you know, I guess I'll learn and I'll change uh, the, that style of match from that match director. Because sometimes match directors do what match director is going to do. So the um, that, that's interesting. You kind of led into my next inquiry, which is how do you select a cartridge based on the match you're going to shoot? Like, it does, Let's assume for the purposes of this conversation, this is going to be all gas gun related stuff, right? Um, what, yep. what information do you need and how do you use that information to select, uh, the appropriate cartridge based on like, are you going to just explore some stuff and, and, and do some research on a gun or are you going to win and does that change things, you know, and, and whatever? Yeah. So you hit you, I think you used the right word and nailed it. Uh, explore. So explore or with DMR, we'll call it a recce. So before I go to the match, I'm going to do um, some reconnaissance on that match, right? Maybe it's the first match and I'll, I'll reach out to members of that range or I'll get on Google maps and find that range and see, measure it on a, on a pedometer or something, how far the distance, the, the bays are or whatever, you know? So how far am I potentially going to shoot if it's not listed or posted somewhere? What that word, um, what that word mean? Which one? The one that started with a P. Uh, pedometer, I, man, I probably used the wrong word, but Google, you used to be able to uh, get on Google, the Google, and type in Google pedometer, and you can measure like road distances and stuff. So I just, I use Dang. that probably incorrectly, but um, there's uh, the GeoBallistics uh, app that's out. The It's a, used to be called Ballistics Arc or whatever, but anyways, it's a, it's a ballistic solver app. But on that app has uh, a distance, uh, you can measure distances that you can uh, uh, via Google Maps, and you can do it on like Google Earth and things like that. So, anyways, using something like that essentially to measure where the firing line is to the back of the range. So, if that back of the range says twelve hundred, hey, maybe we're shooting out of twelve hundred. So, I'm going to bring a gun that I know. If that's all I can find out about the match, I'm going to bring a gun that I know that can shoot at least half decent at twelve hundred. Because I know the most of the match is probably going to be in the three to six hundred range. But I want a gun that's still capable. So maybe 5.56 isn't the gun for that. Now, I've done 5.56 for that for other reasons. But uh, I may choose a large frame gun or I may choose a a Valkyrie or an ARC or something to bridge that gap um, because there's a possibility of shooting that far. And that sometimes those points are worth it. That's what separates you from, from, you know, uh, the other shooters there is you brought something capable. Um, But doing research on on the range, the match director, the type of match, uh, and things like that. Uh, if I've been there before, that gives me a good idea because I may know what kind of steel they have. Some some gas gun matches might traditionally use smaller targets. Uh, some gas gun matches might use large, heavy targets that the the bullet um, has. You know, the spotters and the ROs have a hard time seeing a sixty nine or seventy seven grain five five six hitting it because it's a twenty by forty uh, E type that's three quarter inches designed for fifty cal's, and that you're shooting it at five six seven hundred yards. So. That 77 doesn't even, it barely makes a sound, much less moves the target. So maybe a 6.5 Creedmoor is a better choice, mm. you know, or whatever. And does the cartridge that you're choosing, you're talking about like shooting out of 1,200 yards, like are, are we are we kind of basing this off of muzzle velocity and transonic ranges or, or are we basing it off of BCs or all of the above or, or what? Well, all, all of the above because, you know, your, your BC and your velocity 
um, that's going to provide you uh, as well as atmospheric data and things like that. But those two things are going to, are going to what push the threshold of the, of the distance um, that weapons capable of when you talk about transonic, uh, supersonic, transonic, subsonic ranges. So, you know, my five, five, six, even running 2,800 p- plus feet per second in Georgia um, is theoretically good to, you know, mid 700 yards. Um, after that, the bullet can, can do the bullets going to do what the bullets going to do sometimes and could flip ass over tea kettle, or it could fly perfectly straight and nothing's different beyond that. Uh, so, you know, if, if there's a match that, like Silver Creek, where a lot of the targets are just 600 is about the far as you shoot, 5.56 five, out of 14, 5, 16, whatever. It's perfect for that, a 12.56 arc or something. Um, go into a place that has 2,400 yards, I'm probably not going to bring that 5.56. Five, I'm going to bring something that's more capable. Um, you know, a 6.5 Creedmoor with a higher BC and a similar velocity, if not sometimes even higher than 5.56, five, but twice the BC is now extending that that distance of transonic almost double, you know, now my transonic range is 12 or 1300 yards versus 700 or whatever. Um, so those are things all to account for. Uh, but again, you don't, you may not know those things unless you've done some research, uh, do more research, right. As well as had time on that gun to know what it's going to do, because just because I'm shooting a six, five Creedmoor with a 140 grain bullet, doesn't mean that bullet design flies well through transonic into subsonic. It might do erratic things. Um, there's 168, uh, grain SMKs that have been like, you know, years ago or a gold standard, they do not perform well once they start slowing down and hitting that Mach 1.2 range. Um, whereas there's 168 Burger hybrids, different bullet design in 30 cal for 308s uh, that fly perfectly. Like they just, they do extremely well through that transonic and the subsonic. So just because you have a bullet of, of one weight out of a certain cartridge doesn't mean that it's going to perform the same. So those things you don't learn uh, unless someone tells you and you believe them or you go out there and shoot it and see what it actually does. And so you're not necessarily picking a cartridge based on it stays supersonic throughout the entire engagement distance. Or, or are you? Uh, I'm, I'd like to, but sometimes I don't have that ability. Um, or, or I say ability, I may give up something that I know is a match that's built off like speed and efficiency, whereas shooting a heavier recoiling gun is going to slow me down for the, for the 2% of the targets I need to engage past what my 5.56 can do. So sometimes it is based off how quick can I move and how fast can I go. And sometimes I'll just torch a few extra rounds if that's kind of the match style and to get an impact call um, versus you know shooting at it once. So there's, there's all kinds of little nuanced things that once you kind of have the ability to, and, and you're fortunate to have different weapons choices to go different places and you have the experience of those places, you can make a decision off of that. Um, but uh, like I said, sometimes it's do I have the ammo for the big gun to shoot that performs well through transonic or do I take the lighter gun that's, you know, goes transonic before the other gun. However, I know that that weapon performs well through that period of, of that transition and velocity. So, you know, like I said, it all comes back to what, how do well do I know that, that equipment, that rifle and that bullet, um, combo. Yeah. When you go to these matches, do you, uh, you tend to trend towards a one or a two day event? And is that, uh, you know, do you, do you see men that do pretty well at a one day event fall apart at a two day or, or, or vice versa? Uh, what, what, what do you think about one and uh, two day events in contrast to each other? Um, I prefer multi-day events um, as far as like really trying to to 
push what my capabilities are. Um, it does happen. Hell, I've had it happen where, you know, going to a two-day event and maybe I'm burning down day one or, or someone else is and, and we crumble on day two. And a lot of that, that goes into a whole nother thing with, you know, mindsets and what, what we think about ourselves and how confident we are in our equipment and ourselves and, and a bunch of other things. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so one day events, a lot of times are what, um, I'd like to tell, you know, you could categorize different matches. Like at work, we do level three, level two, and level one or whatever, you, you know, A, B's and C's or whatever, but you tier them. And so maybe you actually have a practice match. You go to a one day event that's the that's the match I'm going because hey I'm trying out a new buttstock maybe I've been dry firing and practicing with it at the range however I want to be under stress and time um, that this competition can give me and that's that's the match I'm going to do it or I'm ch- trying a new scope or new reticle or you know whatever it is different ammo different completely different gun and so those one day events are good places in my opinion to you know test and hone the abilities of of what you're trying to do um, the two day events um, are often more national level kind of events like higher end events. So maybe those are a a level two. Um, Sometimes they're level one. And then like your championship events, um, you know, PRS finales or, or, or real world sniper championships and things like that. Olympics, you know, those are your, your level one events. The the ones that (laughs) trying a new sling bipod reticle and all of the above at the same time is probably not place you want to do that. So that's the way you want to do those one day set. Um, but just like classes, I would rather teach a two or three or four day class than a one day um, because I get more out of it as well as the the, the students get more out of it. Um, same thing in the match. If it's a two or three day match, uh, which over two day matches are, are few and far between, but there are a lot of two day matches out there. And uh, I think that's a, a better test of someone's ability. Do you agree with this statement? It is not the best shooter who wins the match. It is the best competitor, the man that can control his thoughts more consistently and provide an outcome that is better than most most of the time that wins the match. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you added more to that because I've, I've had so many people say, well, is it, it's not the best shooter. It's the best competitor on that day or the best shooter on that day or those days. There's more to it than that, right? Because um, the best shooter might have a gun malfunction. You know, so so I think rewording it to the best competitor uh, is is a better way to do it and explain like you know there's five of us that at any given day of the week we could all be the top five. Um, you know, light condition, rain, wind, the draw of that stage, how we shot in the order. Sometimes you know uh, the Lord above or, or or the match director allows you a better chance. Um, at that specific stage and someone else. And that's, that's what identifies you as the winner of that match. And what I mean when I um, say the best competitor, so if you, if here's the difference between the best competitor and, and the dude that ain't, if you have a, 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 a super duper malfunction on stage five, right? The guy who's not a good competitor is going to have an emotional reaction to that. And it's going to affect the rest of his day. He's going to shoot like, like a spaz. He's still stuck on, on, on that stage. that's already over with uh, the best competitor, if that malfunction happens on stage five, he will shoot stage six as if it did not. Like he, he's, it's not going to affect anything. Um, this is, this is a, I'm going to call it a skill set. I don't believe it's necessarily a choice. Um, like you can't just flip a switch and, and choose to not care, but you can absolutely like train yourself through mental management to get more comfortable understanding that perfection is, is not achievable. Um, that doesn't mean I'm not going to strive for it. Uh, but, uh, I, I'm looking for acceptable, 
uh, and I'm looking for better than most most of the time, man. And and sometimes your freaking straw gets gets drawn, and there there ain't nothing you could have done. There's no amount of training, there's no amount of money, there's there's nothing you could have done to stop that from occurring. And so shoot, man, just uh, Papa always used to say, quit chewing on that turd and go ahead and swallow that something gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, it's uh, and that's a good thing. And, and like the whole, like I said, the mental mental side is a, probably a whole nother podcast, right? Right. Uh, right. Day, you can go days on end, and, there's, and everybody has their nuances of what the things they do, the things they think about. Some people shoot angry. Some people need to be relaxed. Uh, whatever <laughs> it is, some people shoot angry. <laughs> hey, man, I'm one of those guys. I, I like to be a little amped up. I like to be on on edge a little bit, and I, I usually perform a little better. But um, it just, uh, yeah, there's so much to it. And it, it, like I said, it all comes back to the training time, uh, you know, and that's a whole other argument. People will be like, you can't train by yourself. You can't practice that. Whatever. I have my opinions on that. Um, you know, it's like, so Michael Jordan couldn't train by himself, you know? Um, but sometimes you, you are good enough to know how to, uh, analyze and train, uh, alone. But anyways, uh, that, that aside, it's, getting out there and, and, and putting the rounds on target, you know, and I think a lot of people think that you have to shoot far all the time to learn how to shoot far. And I don't believe that's the case, you know, or at least with, you know, positional shooting and things like that. Now for shooting F class where we only lay prone and it's at a thousand yards and we're shooting a half a more X ring. Okay. We probably need to be able to shoot far because, well, I need to know what my ammo and my gun can do as well as me. Cause this thing's essentially supporting itself. And I just got to reach over and touch the trigger. Um, so there are areas where, you, you, you know, you need a lot of your shooting needs to be at far distances. Um, but for most of us to be good enough, uh, and, and defining whatever that means for us, we can do a lot of it at a hundred, you know, and, or, or 50 or whatever we're trying to do, you know, carbine stuff or pistol stuff, probably not going to be training with my pistol all the time at a hundred yards on paper on B8s. Um, but, uh, maybe there's something I'm, that's coming up and that's the, that's the, what separates people when I need to shoot that far. Maybe it is, but you know, doing the research of what we're wanting to, uh, where we're going, um, goal setting and what we're trying to achieve, you know, and being realistic about that. I'm not saying on the mental part of it, you know, people are like, well, you know, I sucked and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay. Now that's in your head. You might suck now. Um, but being realistic of what, okay, I'm shooting this two MOA gun. I'm shooting three MOA targets. So that, that could be a challenge. I could pose a challenge because this place I'm going to is known to have 12 to 15 mile an hour winds come where I shoot a lot down here in the South, the wind's three to five. We're shooting the two MOA gun on a three MOA target. It might be good enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe if I'm going to Oklahoma to shoot, I'm shooting three MOA targets. Maybe I need that one MOA gun, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, so, so just knowing those things and you don't really know that until you get out there and damn shoot. Well, and I like, I'm reminded of what Mike Olivella said at that class we were at down at arena. Um, I, I actually, I want to quote this and like put his name under it. Um, he said, if your standard is high enough at 100 yards and in, you rarely need 600 yards. And I'm going to reiterate that one more time. If your standard is high enough at 100 yards and in, you rarely need 600 yards. Um, but the kicker is you, you have to have pretty high standards. Um, yeah. And I, I, I mean, you got to have fine-tuned capabilities, you know, uh, in combination with your gun and, and you and everything else. You need to be one you know, <laughs> how does a um, how does a match necessarily affect the training plan? Like, like, do you use matches to further your own growth, or do you just kind of? It doesn't really affect what you're doing. No, I mean, I, I firmly believe that match should should further growth. Um, and 
if you know anything about that match, train to your abilities, um, or sorry, train to your weaknesses, um, in my opinion, for that match. So a lot of matches, you know, like I don't shoot three gun, but um, a lot of a lot of the guys I work with and friends do. And so they're fortunate where the match books can come out oftentimes a week out, same with USPSA and things like that. So they can go out and rebuild those stages and shoot those stages. And they do that for a reason, you know, and if they might focus more on the shotgun stages because maybe shotgun loading and, and skills are, are their weakness, or maybe it's pistol. And that maybe they were all work different things. Um, on the long range side, a lot of times we don't even get a match book. Um, you know, and, uh, but sometimes we do, but we don't get those until like after we've trained on Friday at the range. And then when you're leaving the range, you can go up there, turn in a wristband and pick up your matchbook. So how do we get there? Well, you know, that goes back to doing research, whether getting on YouTube or asking people that's been to that area before or knowing the match director, Hey, this guy does a lot of stuff with tripods. So I'm going to practice with tripods. Um, but I guess if I don't know crap about the match, match director or anything, um, I'm going to do my best to refine my zero, uh, as, as, as consistently as possible. Like make sure that it is, um, I triangulate that group size and I put it over the middle of my aiming point, right. Um, uh, as much as possible. So I have a, as perfect as a zero as I can get it. It's going to shift because we, it, shit happens when you travel and, you know, you eat differently or drink monsters or whatever, but, um, have that. And if I can shoot, at distance have my data aligned perfectly. So those are non-issues at the match. I'm doing my best to eliminate all that. Um, after that, you know, I'm going to work standard positions. I'm going to shoot standing supported. I'm going to shoot kneeling support, you know, and things like that off various barricades and various heights. I'm going to shoot in positions that I typically find uncomfortable. Um, I might even throw a sling in there if I just don't know and be like, okay, well, I'm going to pull up a loop sling on this gun because this guy might do like doing some weird stuff. He's a, he's an old school kind of guy. So maybe he wants to throw a stage in there where you got to shoot some offhand stuff or whatever. Um, so I kind of try to check all the bases. Um, and then if I can get to the match and learn something, I may go in the room and dry fire off the bed or off the couch or take a, uh, I've even taken ladders with me or platforms and stuff or try, dry fire off my Pelican case, you know, because I got there and realized, well, we're going to shoot a lot of kneeling or a lot of awkward heights right in that where I'm five, eight and somebody six, one or six, two might be able to shoot nailing. And I've got to shoot like half standing wide split or something. And, and, and um, get ready for this, right? A player might need to do some stretches every morning leading up to about a week out for some crazy position. Like, like is the fact that you're losing directly correlated to the fact that you can't get the gun to be still. Cause you're freaking hurting right now. Trying to even get down here, you know? Oh, exactly. I mean, if you're, if I'm, you know, going to the Mammoth Sniper Challenge versus a PRS match, that's a totally different training plan. You know, you're training months out. Um, I mean, I am. I mean, there, there are people that stay in a in a better fitness uh, state than me. Or, you know, tell, not, tell I'm, another lie. I'm not the peak of performance. I'm not in the peak of uh, conditioning, you know. So for something like that last year, I had to train up for it physically um, as well as the shooting. And because the physical part affected my shooting. And I felt that when I would get done with a ruck and go up and pick up a pistol you know, the rifle, I had multiple points of contact and it could rest it off bags and stuff. It was a lot easier picking up a pistol with a 65 pound ruck on my back after I just, you know, moved six or seven miles or whatever, um, caused me to shake. And my pistol ability was, was deteriorated because of that. Um, and that all came back to fitness. If I was better trained up for it, I would have done better with the pistol and that could have improved the performance of my, our team. Um, and so that's things that, you know, I have to live with. So if I do it again, I know that, okay, get off my ass a little earlier and, and work a little harder. Uh, it's the same thing for a PRS match. If I know that I'm going to struggle with something or I haven't stretched or I've 
gain 30 pounds for whatever reason, whether it be a hormonal issue or just because I'm lazy, um, probably need to do stretches or do different stretches or do, do them longer. Uh, and knowing how all that influences the gun. And it goes back to, like I said, if you take time off the gun or as we get older, uh, things, injuries occur or whatever, we may have to approach shooting that rifle or other rifles a little differently as time goes on. And that can be okay, but you don't know that if unless you go out there and, and try it or dry fire and go shoot because just, hey, I'm, I won this match last year and I haven't shot in a whole year, going out there and thinking you're going to win it again probably is not the right mindset with in saying, oh, I just I won't practice it all, I'll go zero the gun and I'll be fine. I feel that that um, age thing in my soul, man. I ain't never I ain't never so I got injured at the two gun match down at Silver Creek. Um and I've been nursing that. I'm still nursing that to, to this day. I got a my first ever knee problem showed up that day. And and it ain't and it ain't left yet. Uh I'm 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 getting I'm getting there, but but for sure that like that problem was like because I had never had a problem before. It was a lot bigger than I knew that it was, and it ended up me and uh, Bill Blowers were teaching a three day to some Nashville Metro coppers, and I was going to demo some unsupported positions, and I couldn't even get on the ground. Um, and I and I, I was pretty embarrassing. Um, like I, I couldn't get down, and uh, that's when I realized like I got, okay, I, I should probably pay attention to this. Um, some, something's awry, but. Yeah. yeah, all that crap matters. <laughs> it sucks. Um, so uh, another thing that I uh, I have I have discovered this right. So I kind of I pay attention, right? I, I pay attention to like what are the dudes doing that are winning, and what are the dudes doing that are losing, right? And I try to find like some common denominators to build curriculum off of, right? <laughs> um, and I tell you, a big one that just still seems to go uh, it, it just goes over people's head, like they don't. I don't know what it is. Um, what I have found is that, uh, how do I say this? Your, your ability to do everything but the shooting at a, at a multi-target stage, to do everything but the shooting with a tremendous amount of aggression and minimal downtime and still being able to kill that and relax when it's time to shoot is, is a skill set that separates the pack by, by a great deal. Um, to, to be able to like go 100 miles an hour, 100% of the way, and then shut that off for the shot. You know, like that's, that's, that's tricky to do. Um, have you, have you seen similar things? Like how dudes are just like, I know you've seen it, man. Like how dudes will just lackadaisically mount the gun and like lackadaisically move between positions. And it's like, sir, are you aware this is a timed event for God's sakes? You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. And, and there's a, I, I have seen that, and, and it is a, a tricky thing to push the limit or push the limit that we want to be, you know, because I don't want to be at 100 plus 100 um, percent on the edge of, of screwing everything up when I'm shooting right. a match. I want to be in that 85 percent right. or 90 percent, you know. So if I, it gives me some room, you know, and if I've trained enough and I've worked hard enough, um, that can that 85 percent can be a win. It's not a it's not a con to everyone else. Everyone else should be trying to do the same thing. I don't want to have to feel like I've got to work, you know, on the edge. Like if I don't run this stage as fast as the balls of the wall, then if I'm not going to win the match, I don't like that. Um, and no one should, I don't think. But going back to what you said about the last stage thing, you know, it goes back to goal setting, right? So like maybe oftentimes it's not, but sometimes there is that person that's like, I don't care how fast I shoot this stage. All I want to do is I want to hit every target as center as possible because I have been having a problem with stability. So if, if I get five rounds off on a 10-round stage, 
I'm gonna make sure all five of those are it's they're as perfect as a trigger pull I can make with as stable as I can make the gun and all that. And so be it. So maybe I'll move lackadaisical. Um, now, is that the right answer for everything? No, because you probably shouldn't do that in a match. You should probably be doing that in, in your practice regiment. However, sometimes people don't have the availability to shoot long range and, and practice that at distance. So they go to the match to do that. And that's kind of where I was talking about tra- one day training matches and things. Uh, but not everybody's one day, what's my one day training match could be somebody's culminating event for the year, depending on their level and what they're looking to do and where they're located and how much time and money they want to put into this. Um, so there's, you know, like I said, sometimes there's a reason for that lackadaisical, what we deem as lackadaisical. Um, but however, not to not dig on anybody, but more often than not, it's, it's just cause either they're out of shape, they're not in tune with it. They're, they're, there's no aggression they're in their shooting. There's no aggression in it. Yeah. Or, or, or they're defeated. Maybe they started the match aggressive and they it didn't go well, so they're just defeated and they don't want to be there. Uh, and, again, that kind of goes back to the mindset. Some people, I have personally uh, only been able to do it a couple times, um, but some people literally go to matches just to have fun mm-hmm. and meet people. And that is – I've That's got fine. nothing wrong sure. with that. I, I'm, I just have the mindset of, like, even if I know I'm not going to win, I'm there to win. I, I can't. I can't get it out of my head. I can't turn and that I've off. I've been able to do it. Yeah. I've been to a couple matches where I'm just wanting to go have fun. Silver Creek, especially the first one down there, had no idea anything about the match. Didn't know. I, I, the guy had called me and said, hey, I heard about you. Can you come to the match? You're, I heard you're from here. And I'm like, cool. I came down to the match. I had no idea what to expect. Um, I wanted to win, but I went there like finally to a match where I can just relax and be like, I'm going to have fun. And I've only had that maybe three times in my life where I've, in any event, uh, whether it be baseball, football, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, all this stuff, uh, softball, uh, where I'm just, I, I'm having me having fun is me doing one, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I just going to an event to have fun. I couldn't compute that, you know, same thing when in the military, uh, with people qualifying in, in their weapon system, I couldn't compute somebody failing the, the weapons qual. Like, um, I, I understand it more now. It's still in my head I, to this day. I can't, I can't understand how, you could fail it um, <laughs> by look if you if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. I guess is, is a better way to ex- explain it because it is easy, but that's easy to me to say when I'm, you know, considered an SME and all this stuff. So it's easy for me to say, oh, well, why are you know you, you shouldn't be failing this? Maybe yeah. they maybe they got some issues that I don't know about that I can't see because I'm not their eyeball. I never feel bad if I truly did everything to an acceptable standard, right? Like like if um, like if, if you, if you like, so I shot against, um, who, what's his name? That dude from, from Savannah, uh, Fort Stewart, uh, t- uh, Terry Gower. You remember him? Well, he's up in, uh, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. Well, I thought he was down there anyway, like great freaking shooter, man. Um, the only thing that separated he and I was this one stupid malfunction, dude. And I remember, I remember very specifically the end of that match. And I remember thinking like, man, like, okay, get, get real good and pissed off about it. And, and what's, what, that, that's going to make it all better. Or did you do everything acceptably, man? And it just, that's out of cards fail today. Like it is what it is. You know, uh, yep. what, what, what does piss me off is when there is a separation between me and the top dude. And I know exactly where that was at. Like I know exactly what stage that was, you know, like, and, and that was not a gun problem. That was a me problem. Uh, that, that's what bothers yeah. me. But, um, next, next thing that I got for you, man, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this thing up. Cause I know we're running a little bit long. Um, why do you think that 
competing is important. Like, so meaning a lot of dudes are like, Oh, you want to get better at shooting, go to a match. Well, I think that's kind of a one-sided thing. Like, can I not just get better on my own? Like, why do I have to go to a match to get better? Like, and, and if the answer is you don't, okay, cool. So then, so then what is it going to benefit me to go? I think a lot of dudes, so two things, I think a lot of dudes that have never competed, number one, don't understand the benefit of it. Number two, a lot of dudes that haven't competed always assume like everybody always assumes that at the match and at the training class that they're going to be the worst shooter. Right. And, and so they don't want to go cause they think they're going to suck worse than everybody else. And you know, now listen, don't, don't hear me say that you're totally wrong. Cause a player might be right. Maybe you are that bad, right? Uh, that's okay. But also probably, probably not. Um, it, it's very rare that we see that happen. So like if you're going to go put yourself out there, you're going to make yourself vulnerable you're going to be tested in an environment that's not your own against peers that you don't know who's who. How does that benefit me? So the, I'm, I am a believer that uh, you should go out and compete um, to, to further yourself, to further your, your personal progress um, as well as, you know, whatever qualifications you want to get out of that. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to a match to compete. And I think people get lost in that sometimes. And this has been a hot topic, I know, the last couple of months, even with my, you and me and some other people, um, where there's two different camps that like, oh, preaching, oh, you got to go to a match to get better. Or why can't you do it by yourself? Well, one, if I'm by myself, um, I'm limited to my mind, the things that I can create in my head, the scenarios and things that I can build on the range, uh, whether it be with props or just stresses and things like that. I can run a mile and go shoot a, shoot a stage I built. Um, but I'm limited to my, the creative abilities in my head, right? Um, now I can go do research and look up other people's drills and things like that and build those. But they're oftentimes the context of what that drill is for is lost in translation, unless I'm at that person's class or at that person's match. So doing it by yourself, Hey, it doesn't mean you can't get really good. Um, can you be the best though? I don't know. I don't think you can by yourself. I think you need to go to courses and matches to, to be better at that. Um, I often hear people say, you know, like you mentioned, like they might go to classes, um, but they don't go to matches and oh, matches are stupid or whatever. You hear all these things like that. Some people, I've never heard of anybody say a course is stupid. Uh, they might say that course specifically is stupid because whatever was taught or something. Um, but, uh, for those that don't compete because competition's dumb or whatever, I usually ask them, okay, well, what classes have you been to? And they tell me, and then I'm like, well, what did you do in the class? Oh, the first day we baseline zeros or whatever with pistol, whatever it was. Well, what'd you do the last day of the class? Well, we got everybody together and the instructor got us on time. And we like compared our baseline time on the day one to day, whatever it is in the last day. And then like we shot like at a culminating you know, event stages. Yeah. We had a culminating event, you know? And it's like, Oh, and they were like, Oh yeah. And I was top shot. I'm like, so you competed and you get crickets and it's like, yeah. Right. So like, just because you weren't at a match doesn't mean you're not competing. Um, it, it, I believe you should be competing against yourself at all times, even if you're by yourself. So whatever you baseline before you should be striving to do 5% better or whatever you can do the next time. You know, if I'd run a, a drill in 20 seconds tomorrow, I want to do it, you know, the next week or whatever I want to do at 19, you know, or whatever might, might be reasonable expectation until you hit, you know, literally the physical uh, limit of your abilities and your gun. Um, so those things are all big, you know, competing helps, it, it helps test our overall abilities, uh, under stress, uh, and that with, you know, those environmental conditions against the people around us, uh, with other distractions, people talking, 
maybe you're really into checking out women or, or dudes and, and like you're trying to focus on shooting and that's <laughs> distracting you. Or maybe you've never shot such small targets uh, because, again, you didn't have those available to you or you never thought to shoot small targets um, or you never shot to shoot, thought to shoot small targets fast uh, or Maybe you never thought to paint your target certain colors and you're freaking colorblind and you don't know how to deal with that, right? So all these scenarios that just help prepare you for uh, or can prepare you for that unfortunate day that you may have to use your firearm in self-defense of you or someone else, right? Because um, that can translate and people fail to realize that as well. Um, but all that stuff, to, it, in my opinion, it's all tough to do alone because uh, you're limited to what you can think of or what you can you can do. And going to courses and matches provide you with other thoughts and mindsets on things. They provide you with other targets profiles to shoot at. Um, you may be able to shoot different weapon systems that enlighten you to what a weapon's capable of, or you may be able to see like, okay, people out here are not shooting as good a stuff as me or whatever. Um, it gives you options to shoot red dots on pistols versus iron sights or whatever else, you know, loner weapon systems or night vision capabilities and all kinds of crap that's out there. Here's how, here's how my mind conceptualizes it. Like I'm not, I'm I'm not egotistical enough to to act like I'm smart enough to know how everything in the world works, right? Like I I just, but but what I can tell you is what works and what don't, right? Without without necessarily understanding how. So like I just got my, uh, I picked up my truck today, right? I got a new fancy. Carly pin top, super king shocks and all this crap on it, right? And 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 I drove that thing to the to the detail shop and I hit this pothole right? That I always hit when I drive that truck around and it is substantially improved, right? Now, I don't know dick all about how them shocks do what they do, right? But I do know that they're better. This is better, right? And so mm-hmm. I can I can adequately promote the idea that if you will put some king shocks on your truck, that hoe will ride better. And I don't need to know how. I just know it works. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so in the same manner, I don't necessarily know the ins and outs or how to conceptualize and, and identify all the nuances of it, but I know that I am a better shooter today because I compete. Like if I never would have competed, I would not be where I am. Like, like, and I don't really know why. I, 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 I think, I think some of it is uh, uh, twofold. Number one, you, you don't necessarily know what's possible until you go and do this stuff. Like, like, like you might think you're real bitching at this. Until you see a dude who actually is, and you're like, "Damn, I I didn't even know that was a thing," you know what I mean? And then like now, yeah, now the burden of knowledge has been passed, and you got a choice to make: you're either going to stay where you're at and just be cool with that, which is fine based on your level of participation, right? What you're trying to accomplish, you ain't got to be, you know, super duper winner man. Or do you want to say, man, like now that I know what I know, I got some work to do and, and get after it. The, the second thing is, I have not yet experienced anything in my life that replicates competitive pressure, like especially where there is an expectation. Like that's, that's a hell of a thing. And learning how to manage that, um, ha- has been interesting. Um, I've, dude, I've been in force on force shoot houses with marking cartridges against human adversaries and not felt the same amount of pressure. I've felt at certain matches like, you yeah. know, uh, you know, and that, and that, that ain't Mark cutting down force on force as a training tool. That ain't what I said. Right. But I'm just saying like, Competitive pressure is is a hell of a thing, if if you're subjected uh, subjected to it, and, and you're the kind of guy that it like I, straight up, I'm the kind of guy that it, it like it bothers me, and it's because I'm so I know myself, right? Sun Tzu, rules of war, rule number one, know thyself. Um, 
And I know that like, I'm, I'm very critical of myself. I'm very hard on myself. I either see perfection or failure and I don't tend to see much in between. Um, and because of that, like the match pressure for me, like to learn how to slay that dragon has, has been, uh, intense, man. It's been, it's been really hard. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily think that you can ever get over it where it just doesn't bother you anymore. I just think that the external effects of how it bothers you, uh, become diminished, right? Like I still feel it, but I'm comfortable feeling it now, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, hundred percent. It's, you know, some people can multitask, some people can't, I, I, you kind of can sum it up in that, that version too, or some people are good at problem solving. Well, that's what shooting a competition is or saving your life with your duty weapon or whatever, or saving a life is problem solving. You're solving a problem. Your every shot is a, you know, fired should be a problem being solved. Every position is a problem being solved. Uh, zeroing my gun, checking my data, uh, you know, mounting my scope. They're all problems I'm solving. Right. The problem is I need to mount this some bitch level, um, and torque it to the right spec. How do I do that? Well, I need to find a way to level it and I need to find a, the right tools to torque it, you know? Um, and so all that's, you know, comes to play. And you, you mentioned a minute ago shooting. And I think that's, that's a good way to look at it because people look at a lot of times people get tactics and shooting like intertwined and they're different things. Um, you can look at the definition of them or you can just take my word for it or whatever, but they are different. So force on force in a shoot house is a lot more than just shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, how to, you know, it's, it's approaching hallways a certain way and rooms and, and room clearing and using lights and using these other enablers um, that isn't just shooting. Shooting is just a portion and a smaller portion of than everything else of that working with a team and all that. That is not shooting. Um, that's working with a team and those are tactics, right? So the shooting part of it and uh, people, I think, misconstrue that when you go to a competition, the competition is more shooting um, with some problem solving than it is tactics, right? Now you could say, Hey, how I approach that stage is a tactic. Sure. Stage planning. And I'm going like to call it a strategy. Um, I'm going to call it a strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Strategy. So, um, and I, and I see a lot of people getting that mixed up, you know, and they, they want to do the cool, sexy things and courses with tactics and CQB and all that. Oh yeah. And they, they don't sign up for the level 101, how to zero your carbine class. They want to jump to the level 701 of let's go clear the house with everybody else, knowing damn well they shouldn't be in a house. Or they're so, man, I hate to say it like this because it sounds like an asshole, but are they so ignorant to the fact that they don't need to be in that house? They're not safe enough to begin with with their firearm, much less safe around other people shooting either live rounds or munitions. Um, and then also, they may potentially so, shoot so poorly that they're more of a liability than an asset anyway. And so, like, maybe you should go Correct. to the 101 class, right? Uh, uh, so, uh, like, to, to quote my buddy Bill Blowers, man, if, it, if, if everything you're worth is 10 total dollars and it takes you $9.50 to run the gun and hit what you're aiming at, you're all dicked up, man. Like, that that needs to be yeah. on autopilot. You need to be using 50 cent to run the gun and leave nine fifty available for problem solving and strategy making. Um, so yeah. here, here's, what a, here's what a stage is, right? It is it, – it, you are strategizing and you are tactfully approaching this based on – what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and what do I need to do? Like, like me and you ain't going to shoot every stage the same way. Like when, uh, <clears throat> when Eric came by, uh, a couple days ago, I was, Eric's a friend of ours, uh, in a little group chat, came by to get him a t-shirt before he went to a match. And Eric looked at a stage and he said, why did you go near to far on that? I set up a little mini stage for my uh, uh, my student, and he's sitting there watching it, and he actually whipped out a spot and scope. It was pretty cool. He actually uh, RO'd for us. But 
Um, he said, he said, why'd you shoot it near to far? I would have never done that. And I said, because I know myself and a first round miss is detrimental to my confidence. And so I want to start out on the easy stuff and get rolling before I start to work out to the, to the harder stuff. Also that nearer target is a larger target. Therefore I can get a faster first round impact than I can on the farther target. Right. And, and he's like, dang, he said, I, I can't do that at all. I want to do the hard work first. And that's, that's the difference of two people, right? Like, so who's right? Well, both of us is the answer, right? Um, and so th- that's that's what dudes do. like. That's the stuff you can't figure out about yourself un- until you let yourself be vulnerable and go to an environment that's not your own. I, I like what you said, where you said you're, you're limited to your own mind, man. Like I, I'm, I'm getting to where I'm pretty creative with like little stage designs and things like that. Um, but it's still it, it's just mine. Um, like it's nothing that I've never thought of before. It's not like I, I'm not pioneering anything groundbreaking or anything. Uh, I, but it, yep. it truly is like really interesting to show up to a, to a match and say, dang, I have never seen a barricade, anything like this before. What, what, what do I need to do? Yep. Um, and a lot of times you can look at somebody in your squad and be like, Hey man, not to sound like an idiot, but what's your plan? Yeah. And people are nice and they'll be like, well, this is what I plan on doing. You're like, okay, I ain't comfortable with that. So yeah. I'll just shoot it how I was originally thinking, <laughs> but I'm going to watch you and maybe I'll practice right. it later. Or, you know, or you watch uh, them do it and you immediately go, I ain't doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, going back to what you were talking about, with Eric, I mean, understanding your priorities of work for you, um, in the military, a lot of times their priorities of work and stuff like that are, are considered, um, doctrinally, like they have to be a certain way. Um, you know, knock out the, the, whatever the most dangerous threat is. Um, sometimes that most dangerous threat to you is, is getting the hard part out of the way first and then going to the easy stuff. Yeah. Some, I mean, I don't shoot that way. I would go near to far. I would shoot the confidence building targets first, um, uh, to build my confidence and for me to be able to check like wind and elevation and things on the bigger, mm-hmm. easier targets if, if they're available. Um, and then move on to the you know the harder stuff. That way, I have more confidence in what I'm doing in my position, mm-hmm. my abilities, my gun, etc. To hit the small. You don't stuff. climb a ladder from um, the top down, baby. It's, 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 yeah. <laughs> sometimes the the near stuff could be the half minute stuff, and sometimes the far stuff's the five minutes. I have seen stuff. that. So maybe there is a yeah, time. I have seen you that. Know? So so maybe going near isn't the the answer. So that's why that that priority of work is is a thing again. Problem solving and knowing thyself, uh, knowing your equipment. Um, having done the research, so to yeah. speak, yeah, yeah, um, all that, all that matters. So, well, um, I think that uh, all this was was a really good talk. Are there any closing thoughts you'd like to add, or anything crazy like that, or or have you said your piece? Um, no, I'd like to. Maybe we one day we can kind of touch on the mental stuff. I, I think we, yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll open that can of worms at a later date. For concept. sure, we'll let this one marinate for a while. Let people fall in love with you, and then we'll come back. You know, it'd be like seeing that girl you saw in that one town one time a long time ago, and then there she is again. You know that kind of feeling. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do for guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, how do you how do you do how do you deal with it? Um, but yeah, uh, something I'd add. Um, hey, come to the JBS training group class and match out in Texas and Lubbock in uh, in November, and uh, you'll see Mark and myself out there goofing off and trying to teach people what not to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've been very fortunate that. Uh, in, in this company that that class has actually been sold out for a while. So you can't come to the class, but you absolutely can come to the match. And what the match is going to be is just eight stages of how my brain conceptualizes, uh, good enough is with a standard AR 15, uh, off of some weird stuff and, and thinking through some problem solving and some strategies that you may not have ever 
thought about, right? Um, I, I get like some free candy for you if you're coming. A lot of people call these matches zero to 600 yard matches, but I ain't never seen nothing that wasn't 100 to 600 yard matches. At this match, you will truly need to solve the zero yard line problems. Um, and like that don't work real good on 12x players. So what's your what's your redundancy plan, right? Um, and, and and things like that. Um, also, like we're gonna prioritize some things. That, like and I don't want you to hear we're gonna be like doing no tactical games, like goofball stuff. But like there's gonna be some stuff in here where like your ability to move, you're gonna have to strategize based off of that. Like what do you need to do based on your physical capability? Because like. Certain dudes are going to need to do different things, and that don't necessarily mean the dude that's in the best shape is going to win. He just got to he, he gonna have to have a different plan. Um, so I, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Um, there's going to be some bonus targets, right? Fortune fortune favors the bold. Um, but know thyself, right? If you shouldn't shoot at that, you you might not want to because there may be a consequence for it. Uh, so they, all that kind of stuff that like holds people to a really high accountability standard sometimes. Let's them turn loose a little bit and understand that P for plenty is sometimes the answer. And then also, like, do you understand your gear enough to be able to, to deal with certain problems that you may not have ever seen? So I'm really excited about it. Um, appreciate you throwing that out there, man. But uh, yeah, outside of that, um, would, so are you able to say whether or not – are you teaching at all right now? Like, are you offering anything to anyone right now, or is that still – uh, uh, to, to, to be discovered later on. We're, we're not real sure. Uh, can't, can't really go there. So right now I have nothing um, open enrollment per se posted. Uh, I've got a couple things. I'm just so busy with other stuff right now. Competitions through essentially the end of November. Mm-hmm. Um, like your, your thing, your matching class is the first thing I have not work related or competition related on the, on, that's related to my work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, that's the first thing I have after that. So everything else is booked up till then. Uh, I'm doing a private class in December. Um, so come December or essentially the first of the year after the man of sniper challenge, I'll be working that this year, early January. Um, I'll be doing some classes and I hope to have open enrollment stuff and ranges across the country mm-hmm. posted by the end of the end of the, end oh, of the year. Super cool. If anybody wants anything, um, hit me up. Maybe we can do, you know, some private stuff or we can go ahead and get some on the books for next year. Um, if somebody wants to host some training or whatever, um, but I'd be happy. Like if I can't do it, I have other people that I feel confident can, whether it be Mark or anybody else, uh, wanting to tailor some training. I, I'm a firm believer that there's plenty to go around and we should all get training from different, you know, mindsets and ideas, uh, avenues of approach, if you will. And uh, we should be going and getting training as instructors as well. Um, uh, cause you know, so, uh, personal development is huge in this and we won't evolve. Where, where can dudes find you on, on social media if they want to check you out, you know, send you a message, whatever. Uh, on Instagram, Veracity Solutions. Uh, so at V-E-R-A-C-I-T-Y Solutions. No dot, no underscore, nothing there. Just all What that word mean? And uh, means uh, truth. Oh, Lord. So, um, I, you know, I heard something many years ago that the bullet never lies. And so... Uh, we're truth solutions, if you will. Okay, uh, it's just something that came to mind. It doesn't hit the al- algorithms okay. good because it doesn't start with an A right, and right. all that stuff. But you know. And then uh, what about what are you on Facebook at all? I am, but I try to keep my personal Facebook away from my business. I understand. All right, super cool, man. Well, outside of that, I uh, appreciate the heck out of you coming on, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very fortunate, very proud to know you. I mean that. Thanks for having me. 
All right, guys, that's the show for the day. As always, if you'd like to know more, you can visit us at www.jbstraininggroup.com. If you'd like to get in on a class, you can check the roster and the schedule, which is always changing. If you'd like to host a class, you can hit me up at jbstraininggroup at gmail.com. I appreciate the heck out of you guys. Make sure you talk to Jesus today, and we'll see you all on the range.